Okay, so we go from the Guardians to Chris Saha. Got it. Heroes to zero. (laughs) (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy, a conversation with Chris Saha. Fucking, I got a mute, dude. I'm dying. Welcome back to the Other Ship Podcast. We have a really special show because we have special guests. I'm your host, Chris Spiker, and with us tonight is Michael. I wish I had a replicator because you people, Herrick. <laughs> What's up, everybody? <laughs> and our special guest tonight, longtime listener, first time caller. He's a great friend to all of us. He's been through a lot this year. He proved that resistance really isn't futile because he came and kicked its ass and he's still in recovery mode. And we're so happy. We mention him every week. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bruce Cohen is here with us tonight. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the kind words. And thank you for the kind words every week. We here appreciate it. You guys are great people, great friends, and we're just happy you're still here and kicking, hopefully for a long time yet. Well, thank you. Me too. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Why, why, why should we? I'll be mentioning Mr. Frazier later on if if things play out a certain way. Oh, okay. okay. We're the other ship and you think sci-fi when you think other ships. So we're going to talk about one of the greatest science fiction shows ever from one of the greatest science fiction franchises ever. My first franchise love, my first fandom. We would start with the original, but tonight we're starting with the next generation just because I feel it's kind of where the idea got started and in quite a few of our wheelhouses. And this is one that the casual fan I feel can get into the most. This and the original series, I feel the casual fan can pick up on and just watch without knowing anything else and still get really hooked on it. We're going to include our five favorite episodes and, you know, but we're going to start out here with some memories here and talk about how we got introduced to it. I'll go first because I may blab a little bit. I was two years old in 1987 when the show started, but I knew about Star Trek by that point because my mom and my family introduced me to the original series. So I remember vaguely watching Next Gen growing up and I had all the toys. I had an Enterprise D. I had all the action figures of the crew and everything like that. So it just kind of stuck. And I remember I watched it with my mom every single week. And then when it went to syndication, I think on the local Fox affiliate every night at like seven o'clock. So we'd watch it every night. So Star Trek's always been a part of my life. And that's how I got introduced to it. And I'll talk a little more as time goes on, because there will be stories that I'll fit in about it. But Next Gen has always been a favorite of mine. Mike, what was your introduction to TNG, as they call it? I remember just coming across it one, I think it was Sunday evenings. There was a Saturday evenings. Yeah, I think it was Saturday. I think it was Saturday night. I think we were probably all watching it at the same time. I just happened across it one night. And the thing that stuck out to me the most, besides (laughs) the cool ship design, was Lieutenant Commander Data immediately. I mean, he just looked so different. I was like, okay. I had seen a number of episodes of the original series at this point. You'd catch it here and there. Like, I don't think it was on any consistent syndication on any channel we got. It was more like, oh, it's Saturday afternoon and there's no college football on or something. Here's a couple of episodes of it. So as soon as I saw TNG, then it was like, okay, I look in my TV guide and see that it's on every Saturday at 7.30. 
seven o'clock or eight o'clock, whatever it was, I'm going to make a point to try and watch this every week. And that's where my actual love of Star Trek came from was watching Next Generation. That's awesome. I know a lot of people that share that same story that they got hooked on TNG. And I guess TNG would technically be my first one because I remember watching that, but I also remember the original. I was so young that Bruce, how about you, bud? Well, first, I'd like to thank you for telling me how old you were in 1987. (coughs) But being the older member of this illustrious panel here, I obviously started with the original series. And because of that, I had preconceived notions of what Star Trek should be. And... I got to tell you, I wasn't expecting much, especially after the first movie, the original Star Trek, the motion picture. I think they had just forgotten how to write the stories. I wasn't expecting to really like it. I was so intent on hating it. Couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. They focused right away on the main relationship of the three main characters with the others just closely circled around. But just like Kirk, Spock and McCoy, you had Picard, Riker and Data. And you couldn't ask for anything more than that. And that's what I think they forgot in the motion picture. So mine just flows naturally from the original series. Yeah, the original will always be my favorite. But, you know, you're right, the camaraderie. And then you had more of a focus on the rest of the main cast. Obviously, you had more love spread throughout as the seven seasons went on. Hell of a cast, I must say. You know, we only had Denise Crosby for one year. Then we had Dinah Mulder for a year. And from season three to season seven, you had the core crew. And that's one of the best crews ever assembled. So good, they brought him back for Picard. I was just going to say that the fact that they still had that same chemistry, you know, all these years later was just astonishing. Well, I think it also has to do with the fact that they became friends in real life. And interesting story about that from Patrick Stewart's autobiography, which is a great read. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to read it, but I highly recommend it. I'm only about halfway through, but Passage was recommended to me by somebody and went and read. And apparently, Patrick, he came from very Shakespeare upbringing and very regal, very intense, I guess might be the term for studious process, however you want to phrase it. So he was all like uptight and said, we shouldn't be having fun on the show. And people got upset with him. It's like, why are you being such a jerk? We're trying to have fun. So apparently that got him to loosen up and people got to know him better. And as a result, that's why Picard's a little looser starting in like season three, season four, because they finally said, Patrick, we're trying to have fun here. And it clicked, said, okay, so now like the seven of them have been friends for however many years. And it showed the genuine like friendship I felt flowed through every scene. And then as you got older, as we got older with them, when they're all back together in the scene of Picard, I mean, I dare to find a Trekkie who is not enthusiastic about seeing them back on the bridge together of the Enterprise D. And all Picard did is do is talk about the carpet. (laughs) That's one of the best lines the entire show. (laughs) (laughs) Next Gen ran seven seasons and 178 episodes, which is pretty tremendous, especially when you compare that original series got canceled after three years and 79 episodes. I asked these fine gentlemen to come up with their list of their five favorite Next Generation episodes, and there's no shortage of them to choose from, obviously. And there's some really great ones. There's some stinkers. At least I didn't ask to name the five worst, although I'm sure we could have did that, too. And there's one that sticks out in my mind as being one of the worst. I will start. My number five is A Fistful of Datas, which is a fun holodeck romp where the holodeck 
goes haywire, and all of a sudden, Worf and Alexander and Troy are trapped in the Old West simulation where everybody is data, <laughs> which leads to some great, great acting from Brent Spiner, and the rest of them as they're dumbfounded. One of the closing scenes of the episode is one of the funniest scenes in Next Gen, in my opinion, and they all play it so well. Michael Jordan does a great job of being straight-faced the entire time throughout this ridiculousness. Worf is not a merry man, and it, <laughs> and it shows through this episode, and it, the fact that he played it so straight while all this shenanigans is going on is just to me it's outstanding so it's one of the silliest yet most fun next gen episodes that's why i put it on my list here michael what was your number five sir well let's see i will go with season five episode six the game that's where Riker comes back from a trip to risa with this video game where you put a little headset on and there are two little screens that go in front of your eyes and you move these discs into these tubes and it turns out that it was a setup by an alien race it like triggers your dopamine sensors i guess or receptors and provides you pleasure playing this game while also kind of brainwashing you and making you susceptible to whatever it is they tell you to do and so Riker comes back replicates it passes it around the ship everyone gets to playing it and they're ready to turn over the enterprise to these aliens then they're going to use it to take out starfleet and the whole thing and saving the day is young intrepid wesley crusher and ashley judd ashley judd yep and i'd forgotten it was ashley judd until today watching the episode they figure out what's going on they analyze the game see what it is and you know reactivate data because he had been deactivated because he was the only one that would be impervious to this and to me it's just a really fun episode in general seeing wesley get to kind of play hero and some of the little tricks that he did like the site-to-site transport he had set up and disabling some of the security protocols so they couldn't track him easily on the ship and taking his phaser and setting it to fire into the one force field to throw off security and at the same time it kind of reminds me of some modern day things where i feel like tiktok sometimes has this effect because i'll sit down many nights to watch oh i'll watch five videos before i go to bed and the next thing i know it's two hours later and i'm still watching videos and it's like okay i've got to put this down now that's like me and youtube there is an addictive property to certain video games or social media apps and things like that that i think is kind of reminiscent of this episode and it just kind of makes me chuckle a little bit but here this was that was season five so that was 1992 91 92 and here 30 years later it kind of rings fairly true to an extent yes that's great and that's one of those episodes where it's like you realize how far wesley came from that bratty annoying kid who was always running around on the ship in the first season and he actually got to do something cool for once and i don't know if we'll talk about it but i almost put his last episode on the list here i'm sure there might be another mention of that we'll get there though bruce how about your number five sir well, first, let me just say that I put together a lot of lists in my lifetime <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. This was unbelievably difficult. With the exception of my top two, I had a list of like 25 or 26 episodes that I had to kind of, you know, nah, well, I really don't want to get rid of it, but I have to get rid of something. So there was a lot of that going on. A couple of my choices are going to show my affinity for the original series. My number five is the episode where Mark Leonard came back as Sarek to negotiate a treaty with the Lagarans, I think. Yes. And unfortunately, he started to lose it, and which caused all kinds of problems across the Enterprise. The guy who came with him, whose character name is Scoot, 
it to me, but they tried to keep them together for the length of the negotiations, but it just wasn't happening and Picard had to take over. I always found Mark Leonard, Leonard, I keep, I don't know why I always said Leonard growing up, but Mark Leonard to be just fascinating, <laughs> no pun intended, in the role. He was just letter perfect in how he portrayed the full Vulcan side as opposed to Spock's half Vulcan side. So Sarek, which was towards the end of season three, is my number five. It's a great episode. Excellent choice. Yeah, it's a tour de force by him and Patrick Stewart always goes without saying, but their performances in that episode are outstanding. All right. So my number four, and I'm going back and forth here because I have two listed and I don't want to step on anybody else's toes. So we're going to go to the one that totally transfixed me as a kid and kind of cool concept in a way. It's season five, episode 18's cause and effect, which is the Enterprise blowing up on a repeated loop. Yep. I remember the teaser and the Enterprise blew up. I'm like, what the hell? And I just remember being dumbfounded. My mom goes, oh, it's the first two minutes of the episode, Chris. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) The story I always tell about Rafa Khan is they took me to go see it in the drive-in movie theater back in the 80s. And I bawled my eyes out and they killed everybody during the Kobayashi Maru. And I'm like three, four, five years old. And they're like, it's okay, you know? And then everybody came back. So apparently I stopped. Apparently I cried so bad at the end of that, they had to leave because I wouldn't stop. I was in hysterics on the killed Spock. That story my mom likes to tell about me. So cause and effect, it's a repeating time loop. And eventually Data and the crew catch on that, okay, here, if we do this, they think they changed something and it still happens. But then they keep catching on like they're in a repeating time loop caused by, I forget how exactly they term it, but it turns out there is a starship that they keep encountering that was trapped and they alter the trajectory. And here it comes out and they narrowly avoid it. To me, it's, it's a cool concept, like the repeating time loop and okay, are you stuck? It's like Groundhog Day. It's like the Groundhog Day in Star Trek. Isn't that the one with the, where he looks at Riker's three yes. epaulets and he realizes that he's the one that they should be listening to? Yes, and it's discovered during the famous poker game. Yep. It's part of the key that they discover and they all start putting it together. And notable, because I said we'd come back to it, the yep. captain of the ship at the end is Kelsey Grammer, Mr. Fraser himself, Captain yep. Morgan Bateson. Apparently he's a huge fan and was like begging to be on the show so they slid him in there that's how Whoopi got involved too yep that's apparently how a lot of people got involved in star trek was oh we love the original can we be on this one like that's how tom morello got a cameo on voyager but yeah like all the famous people it's really kind of cool to think about it like that but i just remember being so transfixed by and i watched it again recently like hey this is still really kind of a cool sci-fi plot it was at the top of the list that ended up getting put aside yeah we can always talk about a few that you know we had on here because there's a few that i was very iffy on that did not make the top five especially talk about the one that i was very very torn on so mike how about your number four all right for my number four i'm going to go with season six episode five schisms and this is where you start out you see a very disheveled Riker in 10 forward and then he goes to Data's poetry recital and he talks about how he's not getting any sleep at night he goes to bed wakes up and feels like he hasn't slept at all and he goes to Dr. Crusher and she gives him some kind of she gives him a recipe for a hot milk toddy to drink that was I think Captain Picard's great great grandmother's recipe or something to help him sleep and it turns out that he and a number of other members of the crew are being abducted by aliens and operated on and And it struck me when I first saw it as interesting the way they start piecing together in the holodeck there. You know, there's different things like Riker sits down at the con for a second and he touches the console and it triggers in him the idea of being held down and restrained. 
and Jordy's having issues with his visor and a few different things. And so then they go into the holodeck and they're recreating the things that they remember about this, you know, and they start out with a conference table and then it goes to this like metal contraption where they're being held and then operated on and everything. And it just always stuck out to me as interesting as they didn't even like have like nightmares about it happening or anything. It was just those slightest remembrances. And it's kind of like how you can wake up from a dream and remember it all in the moment you go back to sleep you wake up in the morning you can maybe remember bits and pieces of a lot of them but very rarely do you remember an entire dream it's always just little snippets and that was kind of like what they were going through there was just these slight memories and then they start piecing it all together as that shared experience and figuring out what's going on when you and i were talking about it i thought about it and didn't have time to watch it but i remember there's a voyager episode in season four that's like that except it's like their dreams and everything there's aliens like interrupting like their dreams and everything like that yes actually axel and i are working our way through voyager currently and we just watched that episode last week yeah because it's one of the first ones with seven and nine in it because her and harry kim are making out like you lucky bastard yeah <laughs> yeah, he, look he never got promoted but he got back <laughs> i'll take it i mean <laughs> i mean i mean I, I mean i have no shame jesus i met jerry ryan at a convention i was like 15 i'm like oh my god she's just as beautiful in person as she is on television gentlemen let me tell you believe it don't doubt it as i said i didn't get a chance to rewatch it but i know you and i had talked about it and it kind of stirred up some of that and i thought of that voyager episode too but we'll get the voyager down the line Bruce, how about your number four, sir? This is where, again, part of the struggles here. I went with an episode called Measure of a Man when Captain Bruce Maddox wants to disassemble data to find out what makes him tick so he can create more. Just the idea of losing data, you know, just pulses throughout the entire episode. And, you know, you just look at the trial and obviously you know what's going to happen, but you really don't know what's going to happen. Picard's speech at the end, his summary was just extraordinary. It's one of those tour de force episodes, in this case, for another one for Mr. Data himself, Brent Spiner, because he was just magnificent. Trying to hold it together, even though he's a machine, you know, it's part of his, you know, the whole thing of wanting to be human. And for some reason, this episode just stuck with me for a really long time. No, completely understandable. And I mean, the idea of the android sentience and everything like that was a recurring theme. They even touched back on in the first season of Picard many, many years later. Yep. Bringing back, it wasn't the same actor that played him, but Bruce Maddox did come back for an episode. That's an excellent like courtroom scene. I understand that there was a couple law courses that would actually use that in their some of their like trainings and whatnot. That episode. It doesn't surprise me, and you know, it's just probably another indication of my love of uh, courtroom drama because some of my favorite movies are courtroom dramas. Hey, nothing wrong with that. The juxtaposition of Riker versus Picard. Yep. Yes. In the courtroom scenes, it was a very interesting episode, for sure. And what made it kind of fascinating, and I feel like later on in the series would have been different, it was so early in the show that you didn't really know these characters like you did later on. So it's like, oh, you know, you kind of flesh both of them out a little bit, and of course, flesh data out too. But imagine if that had taken place, I think it's like a season two episode. Imagine if that took place like five or six and the kind of conversation they'd be having. Right. So my number three is an episode from season five, episode 23 called I Borg. And that is they find a single Borg drone 
separated from the collective and they name him Hugh and Jordy and him become best friends and it's really t- touching and then Jordy's like well shit Picard's like well I want to meet him and in my mind one of the greatest scenes Picard has is him and Hugh together in the ready room and Hugh kind of gets it because he's like a child and Picard's trying to reason with himself and with Hugh and it's heartbreaking and it's uplifting and LeVar Burton puts on a great performance in this episode and it's the whole dynamic of it it's like okay well what do you do I mean we have the key right here to possibly defeating the Federation's new greatest enemy you just named the one that came in number six for me (laughs) oh it's so good like and it's weird because Hugh has always been like a favorite like side character of mine so you had him in this one as a child essentially he didn't know what to do he was separated from the collective the only thing he ever remembered and then you see him again in Descent later on and he's the angry teenager because he's like, oh, you guys steered me wrong, blah, blah, blah. I'm so angry. And that's what Laura was telling him how to feel. But then you see him in Picard when he's doing the Borg Reclamation Project and it's adult Hugh. Yep. And spoilers, Picard season one pissed me off for that reason because they killed him. And I was yep. so angry yep. about it. Yeah, I, I was not a happy camper. And, and what's interesting is it actually, wasn't it the same actor though? Yes. I seem to recall it was the same guy. Yeah, same guy and everything. And it was very nonchalant. It's like you killed him and it's like, oh, that's it. And there's no like... We didn't get anything from, like, really Picard. I don't even know if Picard knew or showed any emotion. And we never got the reunion of him and Jordy. You got the Next Gen reunion later on. And it's like, okay, you treated most of the Next Gen cast members, the recurring characters in Picard, like shit. But that's another story for another day. But yeah, very touching, great performance in these episodes. And very, you know, it's like, well, what would you have done type deal? And that's what I love about Star Trek is there's, like, a moral ambiguity to a lot of this. Michael, how about your number three, sir? For my number three, I am going to go with season one, episode 13, Data Lore. And that's the first appearance of Lore. They travel to the planet where Data was found, find the underground base where the colonists had been, where Dr. Soon had created Data and Lore. And they bring the components of Lore back to the ship, put him together, and find out that he was the original creation. He says the Data was made first and was imperfect, so Dr. Soon created Lore, but it turns out Lore was first and was a problem, (laughs) clearly. And it's the appearance of the Crystalline Entity, which I always thought was very cool. Again, it's another episode where Wesley kind of shines, and it's got the shut up, Wesley, lines from Picard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're on the bridge, and then Dr. Crusher says the same thing to him. Any episode where Brent Spiner gets to play both roles of Data and Lore was always fun to me because it allowed him more range than he normally had. And I really enjoyed the fact that the rest of the crew was kind of oblivious to an extent when Lore was portraying Data. You know, and Wesley, of course, picked up right away that Lore used contractions yep. where Data did not. And, you know, that was one of the telltale signs for him. But I've always enjoyed the Data character in general. And honestly, this could very possibly be the first episode I ever saw. I don't know. I know I saw at some point in season one, but I couldn't tell you it being, what, 37 years ago that the show debuted. I couldn't tell you what the first episode was that I saw, but it's possible that this was, if not the first one, one of the first few that I saw. And it always stuck with 
And then you have the episode. The next time you see Lore is when Brent Spiner is doing all three roles. Yeah. He plays because yeah. he plays Doctor Soong and Data and Lore, and they're all together in the one scene. Which I just rewatched that one not real long ago, and it's great because you only ever really see two of them together. The camera work in that episode is excellent because you never really see them all together in the same scene except for like one or two times. The way the camera shot, and I'm like, dude, Brent Spiner is freaking amazing. Shout out to Rick Nathan for growing out his hair and looking like he's starting to grow the Brent Spiner and. Independence Day look, the Dr. Oak look, Independence Day. I, I just saw that you commented that, and it's uncanny. If he does grow it out more, he will look just like Brent Spiner in Independence Day. That is insane. Shout out to Rick. <laughs> Shout out to Rick. You're awesome, dude. Keep it up, please. On the note of Brent Spiner, I actually, I was not a fan of Star Trek Enterprise. I'm not a particularly big Scott Bakula fan, but I just watched the episode that he was in where he played the ancestor of Sung. Obviously, he was back in Picard. And so, again, the fact that they brought all these characters back was just tremendous fan service. This bad boy can fit so many Soongs in it. Yep. (laughs) Also, shout out to Brent Spiner and Cammy, one of my favorite comedies ever. Dude, where's my car? <laughs> I'll tell you, there's a good episode of Big Bang Theory with yep. Brent Spiner in it. Yep, that's really funny. He, if you haven't <laughs> seen it, Chris, it's worth finding and watching. Okay. He is one of the few next gen cast members I've not met yet, but he's going to be at what's called Trek Conderoga at the original series set tour uh, out in Lake George in May. And I'm really thinking about making a trip just to meet him. It's him, LeVar Burton, and Gates McFadden are the only three next-gen cast members I've not met in person yet. So I need to make that happen, hopefully at some point in the future, because everybody else I've met in person. So I need to... May, huh? Weather is pretty good by then. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Jonathan Frakes is going to be there, Brent Spiner, Walter Koenig, and nice. Clint Howard, believe it or not, is going to be there. Wow. Yeah, their town that is like a big deal because he doesn't come out to the East Coast very often. I'm like, hey, Clint, how's, how's your brother Ron doing? Uh, <laughs> Mr. Chanya. Yes. <laughs> also, Terry Metalis, he worked on Enterprise and Voyager as like a production assistant, but he was the genius behind season three of Picard. Shake his hand and say thank you for that excellent fan service. Because you know what? That's all we really wanted. That's what Nemesis should have been. But that's another story. We're going to talk about the movies later on in the episode. <laughs> We're going to talk about the movies. I have a lot to say about one of them in particular. Excellent choice, Mike. Sorry to get off on the tangent about how great Brent Spiner is. but You'll never hear me complain about talking about Brent Spiner. So yeah, totally that's, fine. that's part of what made Next Gen so good was Brent Spiner repeatedly. Agreed. Bruce, how about your number three, sir? I'm going to kind of piggyback on your choice, although my episode actually came first. Back in season two, episode 16, and that's Q Who. Yeah. The first time we are introduced to those nasty, villainous you know, say what you want about Romulans and Cardassians and the Dominion and all those other people. There was no better or more heinous villain than the Borg. Nope. And this was the episode that introduced them. So this one obviously starts a long, continuing arc through the rest of that series. And then, as we kind of mentioned earlier, you know, at least through episode one of Picard. Oh, and, and of course, there's one of my all-time favorites, and that's John Delancey. I'm going to say something that, you know, given the fact most of you guys, you know, everyone knows that I watch wrestling. But my first introduction into quote soap operas unquote was both General Hospital and Days of Our Lives and John Delancey was on Days of Our Lives as this really kind of kooky character and then when I saw him playing Q I was like holy crap he can really do this um you know Q is just you know John Delancey was just great and the fact again that we got him again 30 years down the road with Picard made me very happy (laughs) 
<laughs> Q is probably Christine's favorite Star Trek character. Q and Worf are probably her two favorite characters, but John Delancey is such, he's another guy who's just marvelous in person. I ordered two cameras from him. One was from my younger brother's high school graduation. My younger brother knew him as Q, but he knew him better from My Little Pony. Oh, dear. I mean, the character he plays on My Little Pony, whose name escapes me right now, and I don't know why, Discord. So he was Discord and My Little Pony, and quite a few people know him from that. And that's what Christine kind of recognized him from when we started watching Next Gen. At least she goes, oh, my God, this Discord. They're all a little younger than us, so I get it. When we met John Delancey in person at the 50th Trek convention over at the Javits Center close to you, Bruce. John Delancey was there and she took him this artwork and he was really like in love with it. I wish he would have made a copy to give to him because he was totally smitten with it. It's Discord holding the Enterprise in place. It's this dragon holding the Enterprise in place. He's got like the little Enterprise and Picard sitting there shaking his fist at him going, damn you, Q. <laughs> you sit there and he's just so like in love with it and he's like, I kind of want to draw a hair on John Luke. That's what I want to do. And he's like, oh, he goes, it's so cool. He had him sign and give it to her her cousin. And I'm like, really? I said, you should have just let him keep it. You know, come on. But yeah. And then he did a very nice cameo for Christine's residency graduation. I ordered one. It was like three and a half minutes and it was beautiful. And she goes, I can listen to him talk all day long. Fantastic voice. And Q was always a favorite of mine. And my favorite Q episode narrowly missed the list here. But we can talk about that a little later on. Excellent, excellent choice, Bruce. Because that established the Borg as somebody you don't mess with. And it carried on through the show. And it carried into Voyager because you found out they had a hub in the Delta Quadrant later on. But they seem to show up quite a bit in Voyager. Voyager seemed like they ran from the Borg quite a damn bit. They always established, I mean, then First Contact, of course, which is marvelous, did a hell of a job with making the board feel like they were scary. Oh, because, God, yes. <laughs> because, I mean, think about it. You lose your individuality, you get fitted with some weird stuff, and your only thing is you want to assimilate and dominate. Moving on, my number two, season three, episode 15, is Yesterday's Enterprise. One of the absolute finest pieces of work I think Next Gen's ever done. They come across the temporal rift, and here comes the Enterprise C, which is weird because you never heard them talk about the B or the C up to that point. You were like, okay, the A was in the original series movies. Then you go to D, and there's like 100 years in between there. It's like, oh, what happened to it? And you find out by them coming through that temporal rift, they altered history to where the Federation is desperately losing the war with the Klingons. Tashi R is back. The bridge is military, and Guinan's the only one sitting there going, there's something really wrong with this picture. They're not supposed to be here. And she's the only one she tells Picard. And Picard, you know, of course, is tuned into listening to her. And notable for this is Christopher McDonald as one of the Enterprise C officers, Shooter McGavin. I wonder if you ask any Klingons if they ate pieces of shit for breakfast. <laughs> one of my favorite Trek guest stars, just because every time I see him, I see Shooter McGavin. But Castillo is nothing like that. So Tosh Yar makes the decision to go back with the Enterprise C to make sure that everything goes back into its own rightful place. And the sound clip that everybody hears for years, it comes from this episode of Picard going, let's make sure history never forgets the name Enterprise as they send the C back. And the D gets whooped up on by these Klingon warbirds and then everything of course goes back to normal but tremendous acting here nice to see Denise Crosby back for what we thought was one episode till she came back later on again as a different character and Guinan's big role and it's just kind of cool because it kind of bridged a gap there in Star Trek you didn't really know about it was mentioned very briefly the Narendra 3 conflict was mentioned very briefly earlier but this kind of gave you more background on what was going on and how everything got changed so it was kind of a neat little bridge there <laughs> Mike, you're number two, good sir. Okay, my number two is from season three, episode three. It's The Survivors. 
The Enterprise comes responding to a distress call on the colony on Delta Rana 4, only to find out the planet has been destroyed. There's no life, nothing, except for one single house on this small patch of land that has lush vegetation and everything's fine. And they meet the two people that live there, Kevin and Rashawn Uxbridge, who claim to have witnessed the attack that destroyed the colony, but are unaware that they're the only ones that survived. So there's this music box that they bring back that infects Counselor Troy's brain, essentially, where she just continues to hear it to the point where Dr. Crusher has to put her in a coma because she can't handle it. And it turns out that Kevin is an immortal energy being, and he fell in love with Rashawn. They went to the colony there on Rana 4, and he is essentially a, a pacifist used to fight against this uh, invading species called the Hoosnock, and Rashawn went out to help defend the colony and died, and so this just destroys Kevin, and he lashes out with his vast power, and not only destroys the Hoosnocks that are attacking the planet, but every single member of their species, and so he had created like this utopia basically there with their little hatch there and recreated Rashawn. He creates a spaceship to come and attack the Enterprise to try and get rid of them. At one point, Picard is down on the planet and tells him, you know, the, the only way the Enterprise is going to leave is if they were to die. So then he recreates that ship, has it attack and show that, that their house was destroyed and they were killed so that the Enterprise would leave and Picard figures out, you know, only the things we said needed to happen for us to leave after we said all of a sudden these things happened and so he goes back and that's when they hear the whole story but it was one of those where as i'm watching it i'm trying to piece it together and figure out what's going on and i can say i didn't have it figured out before they revealed the whole thing i mean i knew there was something up with either Rashawn or kevin but i couldn't tell which one for sure and i don't know it just to me it was amazing that here you have this being that was so powerful they could wipe out an entire species over the entire universe and they were actually pacifists by nature i assume because of the limitless power they apparently had where so many of the other alien species we've seen throughout the various star trek series would have used that kind of power to destroy or enslave everyone else so i just thought that was kind of a different take on the immense i don't know if you want to do the with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing <laughs> but, you know, yeah. something along that lines where, yeah. you know, he had that immense power, but refused to use it until he just couldn't control his emotions anymore. It's a sad episode, especially because the guy who plays Kevin does such a good job of, yeah. you know, it's like you feel for him. You know, it's like, shit, I put in that situation. I don't know what I would do, but. And you can sympathize with him. Yes. Because here he could have prevented her death and the death of all of the people on the colony. I think it was like 11,000 yeah, some some people number. on the colony. And he could have prevented it all, but because of his pacifist beliefs, he didn't do it. And by not acting, it cost him the love of his life. And so then he lashes out out of hurt and anger and probably disappointment in himself to an extent. And it was just an interesting look at a character, a one-off character, essentially. But you sympathized and empathized with his situation. I had some of those, you know, one-off characters, you know, on my list. This was at the top of the list. I can't really add much to what you said. It's the disintegration of a being. I'm not a human, but a being who just realizes that he messed up. And, you know, at that point, there's nothing left for him to be passive about. So you just explode. I know there are 
hundred thousands of times while I was still working where I wanted to do that to people on the other end of the phone for me. I could appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> really? Cool, calm, collected Bruce Cohen going off on somebody? I'm Only crazy. once. I only did it once. I wanted to do it thousands of times, but I only did it once. Guy totally pissed me off. He started yelling at me and I just hung up on him and I waited for him to call me back. And that was probably the worst mistake he made was calling you back. <laughs> Oh, I would have loved to have listened in and heard that. Right? <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. I mean, like, I'm trying to picture my head and I really can't. What a time. So, Bruce, how about your... This is where my question that I put to you, Chris, comes in. My top two are two-part episodes, which is why I asked the question that I did before we recorded. And that's, does a two-parter count as two or one episodes? Thankfully, you said one because it allowed me to get in four <laughs> at the top of the list here. Number two, and you kind of set it up for me with your number two, Chris. My number two is unification, which does a couple of things. One, we see Tasha yet again in another role. We get Spock, which as again, <laughs> about as iconic a sci-fi character as you can possibly come up with, with the possible exception of Vader. But since Spock came first, I'll go with him. And, you know, trying to bring the Vulcans and Romulans back together. That's what he's been working on. There's a secret underground working on this with him. Tasha Yar is a Romulan who's trying to prevent everything. There's just some great stuff in this. She captures them and Spock won't cooperate. So she creates a hologram Spock to give the speech to set people right and they get cloaked in a wall and they can come out and you know the whole thing just goes to crap for poor Tasha whatever her character's name was in this episode but you know again everything you could possibly want you know you've got Spock you've got Tasha Yar back you've got the, the Vulcans and the Romulans in the same episode trying to put them together you talk about some of the favorite lines when Spock says to Picard something like, I was practicing cowboy diplomacy while you were still in diapers, is one of my favorite lines that I remember from the series. It's just an amazing, you know, two parts of television. There was no, in my mind, you know, a lot of these two-part, multi-part things, you're just kind of squeezing in stuff just to kind of expand it because you really have, you know, maybe an hour and 15, an hour and a half worth of material and you add in some stuff as filler. I honestly don't recall any filler in either of these two episodes. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, everything was needed to tell the story. And you also have Sarek passing away at the beginning of it. Yep. Too, and which I think was actually Mark Leonard's actual last role, if I'm not mistaken, like his actual last role role before he passed. I remember as a kid, they were hyping it up. It's like, oh, here's, you know, Leonard Nimoy returns as Mr. Spock. And then he shows up at the very end of that first episode. And then it cuts to black. And you're like, son of a bitch. I was so mad about it as a kid. I'm like, where's Mr. Spock? And mom goes, OK, Chris, you know, he's going to be on next week. And he was. But it was a great teaser that he comes out at the very, very end. I remember, obviously, working at the time. And we had done a multi-year deal for, uh, let's see, who was it? Probably Burger King, I suspect, to be an advertiser in the show. And I remember finding out about this Star Trek episode. And I. I couldn't pick up the phone fast enough to make sure that they had a commercial in both episodes. <laughs> it, it did extraordinarily well, as I recall, because, again, just goes back to, the you know, my past with the original series. Again, I just couldn't imagine not watching it and being entranced by the whole thing. Bruce, I think you and I are going to have the same number one. I suspect we are. But judging by where we're going. Well, we'll see shortly. My number one is, and of course, it should come as no surprise to any Trek fans who know what's coming, is the best of both worlds. 
Bruce was yeah. I right in that assumption? Yeah, you are correct. Well, I mean, it's iconic. Forever ingrained in my head, Picard coming out as a Borg and Riker going fire. And I was screaming at the television. I was four years old screaming at the television. Why do you have to keep doing that, Chris? <laughs> and I, was, I got really worked up over this stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the four-year-old part. No, yeah. sorry. It helps set the tone better. I mean, here I am 38 now and I still remember this shit. And my mom having to tell me and explain to me what it meant for them to come back from hiatus. And she had to explain to me what that meant. I said, what do you mean you got to wait three months? What do you mean? What kind of crap is this? Yeah. It's like who shot JR all over again. You mean I got to wait all fucking summer? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, how are they going to get him out of this one? I'll kind of give the brief pretext for somebody who's listening who has never seen this, which go out of your way to check it out. First, check out the Q episode with the Borg that Bruce mentioned, then watch this. It's introduced that the Borg took out a Federation colony and they're introduced to a new character who comes on board who wants Riker's job because Riker's going back and forth if he wants to get promoted or not, and that would make him leave the Enterprise. And they're chasing the Borg, and they finally find them. The Borg get on board, assimilate Picard, and of course, Picard knows so many things about the Federation. They proceed to Wolf 359, decimate an entire Federation fleet, kill like 10,000 people, set the stage for Deep Space Nine. One of the survivors of Wolf 359 is one of my favorite recurring characters are dipshit from Chicago himself, Captain Liam Shaw. <laughs> so Riker is now in command of the Enterprise and they have to hatch a plan to get it back. So him and Commander Shelby and Worf and Crusher and Data all come up with this plan. And essentially it's okay, but he's still wired into the collective. They kidnap him, wire him into the collective. It's like, what can we make him do? He's like, well, we can't stop him. And technically we can stop them without stopping them. And it's like, what do you mean? And he tells Picard, sleep. And the board cube stops. So the ramifications of this last for a long time. There's an episode following this called Family, where he goes home to his family's vineyard, and it's incredible. Like, he breaks down. The ramifications go for a very long time throughout the Trek universe. I don't know what you would really liken it to. It set up Deep Space Nine because Captain Sisko was in the Battle of Wolf 359. You had Seasons of Picard. You had a movie based off you know, Picard's lingering feelings towards the Borg and everything. So, I mean, it created such a ripple effect that I feel is still very important. It's still so incredibly well-written. It's still tense. Even when you know what's happening and you get the end and Riker goes, Mr. Worf, fire, and it cuts to black. It's like, no matter how many times you see it, it's still, like, chilling in a way. You know, it's... The way the whole crew had to take this in and someone had to push the button when Riker said fire. So, you know, there's someone out there suffering or someone else suffering because he's at the actual attempted executioner. Now, obviously, we all know that what happens when it comes back in the fall. I'll let you get into that, Chris. But, you know, just as a separate aside, what's her name? The one who came on board again. What was her name again? Uh, Yeah, uh, Shelby. Uh, That's Brian Dennehy's daughter. Yes. Who had a 30 second cameo in the last season of the card. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Admiral Shelby. Yes. Well, Riker did say, you are ambitious. <laughs> yep. She got to be first officer whether she wanted to or not. I think she even said, she goes, not the way I kind of planned on doing it, but here we are. You can't make the tough decisions. Move aside for someone who can. Yeah. Well, he proved that, you know, he proved that he could. And yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It's big time. It's a huge, huge episode for Riker, I feel, too. It's not just about Picard. It's about Riker. It's about the entire crew practically having to yep. be like, OK, well, that's Captain Picard, but it's not. He's Lacutus now. No, I mean, Bruce, you you remember watching it as well. I mean, what was your, like, reaction? You said it was, like, the reaction, like, who shot JR? Was it? Yeah, you know, well, it's not not so much that it was that whole, you know, you realize now you got to wait through the entire summer to find out what the hell happened. 
This one, obviously, you know, sci-fi still, say what you will, and, you know, obviously no one on this call necessarily agrees with it, but sci-fi still is kind of a niche thing. And, you know, whereas JR was on the cover of every freaking magazine for two months, still the weight just was, I was probably gripping, the, you know, the chair, you know, watching this thing. When he, when he said fire, it was like, holy crap, this is some serious stuff going on here. So, yeah, I mean, it's... I, <laughs> There's really not a lot to add to what you said because there are only so many superlatives you can come up with. Yes. It was just perfect television. It was perfect science fiction. I'd read somewhere and read read a couple places that apparently the reason why they left it ambiguous was because they didn't know if Patrick Stewart was going to re-up his contract or not. And he's like, well, I will, but I want to be have a little more fun. So the Picard you see from then on, obviously, is a much changed man because Patrick Stewart had a little more say in it because he felt Picard was kind of wood in those first couple of years. And obviously, if you look at it from that perspective, everything changes from season four on. They had the same thing with Larry Hagman. You know, they weren't sure that he was going to sign on either. Much different money back then. I mean, it was still ridiculous, but I'm going to make it up because I don't remember the numbers. But, you know, he was making, I don't know, I'm going to say 50 grand an episode. And then once he got put in the position that he was, you know, I think he was asking for like 150 or $200,000 an episode, something like that. And they had... Uh, memory serves, they had Robert Culp on standby to take over the role should he decide not to renew. So the parallels are there. There's no question. Jesus, that's an insane amount of money back then. Just for inflation, that's one of the Yeah, yeah you, know, you know, it's kind of funny now because you laugh, you know, the Friends cast stuck together until they got their $2 million an episode. And it's like, all right, now it's just getting crazy. Yeah. But yeah, back then, your contract was up. You held up the studio. You know, in his case, I got to tell you, I don't think it would have worked because as good as Robert Culp is, you know, Larry Hagman just owned the role. The idea of someone else taking it over is very, very difficult to imagine. And I think with Picard, it wouldn't obviously be Captain Picard that comes when the new season starts, but it would be another another person. Maybe Riker takes over as captain, you know, who knows? But we could talk all day about this two-part episode. I mean, it's just, it's magnificent. I can't really say anything else. I think to this day, it still remains the greatest cliffhanger in Star Trek history. Hell, I mean, it might even be my favorite in television history, but that's kind of a wide range right there. Michael, how about your number one there, sir? My number one is season six, episode 12, Ship in a Bottle. Okay. And this is, I had to think when I was going through, I wanted to include an episode that had Mr. Broccoli, Hmm. Lieutenant Martin, (laughs) because I loved the character that Dwight Schultz portrayed there. Yes. Or Reg Barkley. But I also loved the Professor Moriarty character in the couple of episodes we had there, Elementary Dear Data, and this one. Daniel Davis did a tremendous job playing the role of Moriarty. And this is the episode where, Jordy and Data are in the holodeck portraying Holmes and Watson, and they notice that one of the characters is supposed to be left-handed, but he's right-handed. So they ask Lieutenant Barkley to come in and figure out what's going on, and he inadvertently activates Professor Moriarty, who takes over the ship. <laughs> if you remember, they had told him that they would figure out a way for him to be able to leave the holodeck. Yes. But I don't think there was necessarily any actual intent by them to necessarily do that, maybe. But they weren't doing it quick enough for him in any event. And so he figures out that he can, can leave and can take over the ship. So then you have the simulation of the holodeck to convince Moriarty that he and Regina can be beamed into the real world even though they're only beamed deeper within the holodeck simulation but it's just one of those i like anything involving the holodeck because that was such a novel concept when tng started i thought it was so cool because i was i was older than chris when these episodes happened (laughs) say that at least but you know i was between 8 and 15 i guess when the show went off the air so it hit me 
a lot to hear they had this whole room they could just go in and imagine things or you know <laughs> to take a page for mr rogers you know the land to make believe essentially hmm. is what the holodeck was you could go in and you could do all these different things and it was just always so fascinating to me anything they did with the holodeck like you mentioned earlier that Worf is not a merry man you know that's a fantastic episode just such great stuff happened with the holodeck and i wanted to make sure i had something with the holodeck i wanted to have something with with mr broccoli that's still one of my favorite lines in the whole series is when captain picard accidentally calls him mr broccoli (laughs) after being told that that's his nickname you know behind his back the performance like i said of daniel davis as moriarty was tremendous in both of these episodes but this one to me was just a lot of fun and then still more fan service with bringing him back with picard yes yeah where where he was guarding the the installation where they had to go to close out the series again still more great fan service again another one of those characters those tertiary or whatever you know the characters that made multiple appearances but never enough to go overboard and to the point where you never want to see him again yeah I think he played a better Moriarty than the guy did in Sherlock Holmes 2 to be honest with you but maybe that's just me being biased and Mike it's funny so after you and I had the conversation about your favorites last week because I asked if you could name five episodes there's a two partner that I almost put on my list because I knew you mentioned it. I think it fell down to my honorable mentions because I came in with about 10 episodes in case there was overlap. Okay. So, yeah, because we watched that one because the Chain of Command came first and then Ship in the Bottle came after that. So it's like the right. Right, right after the other. I didn't mention Chain of Command because I thought it was going to be on yours, but that's another incredible. And let me mention a little funny note about chain of command when i was searching earlier to be able to get the season and episode numbers for everything i couldn't think of the name of the episode so I, t- <laughs> I typed in four lights TNG. yeah there you go and so it comes up that's fine but when you google something then there'll also be like these related questions or searches <laughs> that people make and in this related search for that episode it said who was the kardashian So someone confused the Kardashian (laughs) and the Kardashians in searching for this episode, apparently. That's hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking for that right now because I got to see it for myself. (laughs) Instead of Gold Madrid, Kim Kardashian standing there with the little thing. How many lights do you see? (laughs) Robert Kardashian was an attorney. Maybe he was the one. That was torturing poor Picard. Oh Asking God, him yeah. about the glove. The glove fit Captain Picard. <laughs> if it doesn't, you must have quit. Remember, that was like his claim to fame. Yeah. That's where the Kardashian name first became like a known thing, and then it evolved into what it is now. But yeah, it was the OJ trial and Robert Kardashian. That absolutely cracked me up when I saw that when someone had searched which Kardashian had tortured <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, great episode upon itself. And I left it off because I thought it would be on yours, but I think it's worth a mention because everybody knows the four lights. <laughs> you know, it's funny when we talked the other day, you asked me, you know, what are your top five? You can probably do it off your head. I named off some, and I think there were at least two. My number one, Ship in a Bottle and Schisms, were two that I mentioned to you the other day. Yes. All the other ones I mentioned ended up on my honorable mention list or not even in the top 10. So it's like once I sat down and looked through some things, some things changed in what I thought. Also notable in Chain of Command is Ronnie Cox's Edward Jellicoe, such an asshole. Oh, God. Jellicoe. (laughs) 
he wasn't wrong in some of it, but there are some things, and even Riker, when Riker's like, okay, so Rank's not an issue, I don't like you either. <laughs> he's very, very there. He's like, I don't like you either. He goes, you're pompous, you're arrogant, and you're the bad guy in RoboCop. And there's a number of great different memes you'll see. Yes. Unlike Facebook, about if the series was called Jellico. Yes. <laughs> he was like the main character. And it's him like dad joking Deanna Troy to yeah. like time and it's right. freaking hysterical <laughs> i'm surprised it asked him to come back for picard and that would have been the basis of it him just sitting there making dad jokes the entire time he's like an admiral sitting there dad joking everybody that might have been a little too meta though in the people ask thing it says were there four or five lights that's the first thing <laughs> did picard see five lights and then who was the kardashian that tortured <laughs> fun fact the guy who played the kardashian david warner was actually in star trek 5 and star trek 6 as different characters that probably wasn't the first introduction to the Cardassians, was it? No, it was not. They were around beforehand, but they were kind of like the second tier bad right. guys. Their presence grew throughout the show, but it was nowhere near what you had on DS9 where they became like the bad guys. Well, yeah, because you didn't have Gold Ducat. On I, can't start, I can't wait to our Deep Space Nine episode, dude. I'm going to start right. fuming. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't Warner also in one of my favorite non-Trek sci-fi type things, Time After Time? H.G. Wells meets the Jack the Ripper or something? Yes, that's old school, right? Right there, man. Well, I am old school. <laughs> well, I mean, I know, but I know, but I'm just saying that's like a real like throwback. And he just passed away 2022, as a matter of fact. Another Shakespearean actor. He was also in Tron. He was in Time Bandits, the original Omen. Yeah, I mean, it was him against a guy who we'll discuss here soon. It was Malcolm McDowell was H.G. Wells and David Warner was Jack the Ripper. Yep. Sorry, I, I diverted us. No, I mean, David Warner, I mean, pretty big role in Star Trek. Like we just said, he became one of the most popular memes in Trek fandom and on the internet with the four lights thing. Something I might have to check out. I'm not sure I've ever even heard of that. It's got a very, very young Mary Steenburgen. Yes, it does. Yes, it's very good, Michael. It's, it's a, very, a good movie. Very young Malcolm McDowell in it, too. Yep. Directed by the same guy who directed Wrath of Khan, Nicholas Meyer. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, now that you mentioned it. All sorts of Trek connections going on. Yeah. All sorts of Trek connections. We've totally sidebarred here talking about this. We'll kind of do a round of honorable mentions here because there's a few that I wanted to talk about quick before we talk about the movies. Before we move on, I did have Ashlyn give me her top five. Oh, I don't know if you excellent. Did you get Christine's list? Christine said whatever. Like I said, she's a big fan of any Q episode. She really liked Chain of Command. There are a few on here. She's enjoyed most of them. I haven't shown her any of the really shitty ones. What's Ashland's? I know you mentioned you were going to ask her. Yeah, well, we've mentioned a few of them. Let's see. Her number five was Q Who. Number four was I Borg. Number three, A Fistful of Datas. <laughs> Excellent taste. Number two, Cupid. That's on my honorable mention list. And number one was Elementary, Dear Data. Another fantastic. Excellent choice. Yes, excellent choices all around. Please tell her I commend her choices. I told her last night, I said, I have homework for you to do. You need to go and figure out your list. So she sat down with her Kindle and was sorting through. Excellent choices, Ashley. We didn't talk about Darmok and Jalada Tanagra. I didn't put it. I figured somebody else would have it because we mentioned that's, it. That's exactly what I did. It's, it's on here, but I didn't say it because I thought somebody else was going to. Same here, although I, my other excuse is one of my worst uh, subjects isn't the right word. One of the things I did the worst on when I was in school were metaphors. <laughs> so I, was like, there's, there's, <laughs> I think uh, as entertaining as the episode was, I'm just anti-metaphor, I guess. 
<laughs> so we should start calling you Drax and the Destroyer then. <laughs> Metaphor. I can't believe we did not mention that. And it's like one of the most famous Trek episodes. And when I was in college and multicultural communications, one of my courses, and this guy, former retired Pennsylvania State Trooper, a guy named Stephen McDaniel, hell of a nice guy. I wish I would have kept in contact with him. He sounded like Lieutenant Worf. He sounded like Michael Dorn. I shit you not. During this course, he goes, hey, we're going to watch Star Trek. I'm like, wait, Michael Dorn is telling us we're going to watch Star Trek in his class? He goes, I bet I know which episode we're going to watch. And it was Darmac. <laughs> so again, those memes, like some of the Star Trek memes, like people messing with the, like the telecallers and stuff, like the robot texters and stuff like that, using the things from the episode, like Shaka when the walls fell. And they keep trolling like the telemarketers with it. I'm like, that that's fantastic. <laughs> My favorite is by the end where they keep going with, and they're like, are you okay? <laughs> like by the end, then they keep hitting with all these strangers. Like, are you okay? I can't believe we didn't mention that one. Another one I had on here, I did not list, is Starship Mine, which is Picard pretty much doing Die Hard on the Enterprise. <laughs> because he forgot his saddle and he goes back for it and he's fighting all the terrorists one of which is Tim Russ who would go on to play Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager but here's the important question was that a Christmas episode? <laughs> well played sir well played <laughs> of course special shout out to the series finale All Good Things which I feel still the best finale in Trek history because it brings everything back together and it brings it back to the first episode with Q and yeah. the trial because the trial never ends and see you out there somewhere and it's just really cool to see kind of like the time jump and see that really sweet enterprise they had with like the three warp nacelles that we never saw again. I'm like, dude, why do we get this later on? Actually, not too far off from how everybody kind of ended up looking by the time Picard rolled around anyway, especially Riker. Like Jonathan Frakes as Riker in that episode, like the futuristic Riker and the Riker he portrayed actually weren't too far off. Props to them for that. I don't know if that was intentional or not. And Jordi without the visor, but, you know, they dealt with that later on. Mike, any honorable mentions? Yeah, I've got a few here. Chain of Command was on my list. We touched on that already. I've got two that kind of tie together, even though they're six seasons apart. And that's season one, episode six, where no one has gone before. And season seven, episode 20, Journey's End. Yes. They both revolve around Wesley and the potential for greatness that he has and the character known as the Traveler. Who apparently, fun fact, he was a very close runner-up to play Data. Oh, really? Yes. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, he was a very, very close runner-up to being Data if Brent Spiner hadn't gotten it. And is it just me or does he remind anyone else of Matt Frewer? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Good old uh, Max Headroom. I had another two-parter on here, Time's Arrow, which was the Mark Twain episodes, which I liked not only for the whole time travel aspect and the fact that it was Mark Twain in there, but the look at Guinan from so far in the past. And it's when they first realized how long Guinan's species actually lives. And the fact that they found Data's disembodied head and everything, it was just like a very cool start to the episode. It's like, well, where's this going? Yeah. It turned out to be a very good two-part deal, I thought. Another cliffhanger, because it was the end yep, of season yep. five, beginning of season six. Yep. And the other one I had on my list was season three, episode six, Booby Trap. Yep. And that's where LaForge has to go to the holodeck and get Dr. Brahms that helped create the warp engines for the Enterprise to figure out an issue. And, you know, he creates an idyllic version of her. And then there's an episode later on where she's actually on board and he's trying to connect with her as if she lived this experience with him on the holodeck. She was kind of cold to him and everything. It was just 
just I grew up watching Reading Rainbow, so I loved LeVar Burke yep. and him being on here. So any episode where Jordy got to shine along with the data episodes and their friendship and bond throughout the series was something I really enjoyed too. So any Jordy episode was always good for me. Any data episode were always going to be favorites. Actually, another one that was on the list towards the bottom here, there's one identity crisis, a very good Jordy episode. That's the one where his old crewmate comes on board and apparently their old crewmates are disappearing. You find out because they became those aliens, those really weird, like blue skin yep. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one freaked me out just from the way they looked. I guess that was the intended response cell. Bruce, how about some honorable mentions from you, sir? Well, I, I got to tell you, I've talked about so many of them on whether it's on your list or just now and when we're going through them, but there's two that kind of are on my list for different reasons. There was an episode called Ensigns of Command, which was when the Shellyak wanted their planet back. Picard had to learn to speak the language, and if he messed up even one syllable, it was going to be over. And it's like, pursuant to paragraph, you know, 172,362, you know, point number 253,758, and so forth and so on. He wanted to bring in the uh, the species that was in their 17-year hibernation, um, the name of which escapes me at the moment. I don't know if either of you two remember what the name of that race was, but it uh, it's, it's kind of what's that... The bug that, you know, every 17 years comes up from the ground here. Yeah, there you go. That's one of them. And the other one is really just for sheer fun. And quite frankly, I forgot the episode name. I just remember the episode with Ardra where she came back to, you know, a con woman came back to say that she was the person that was supposed to take this planet and essentially enslave the colonists. And it turns out she was using transporter technology. Yeah, Yeah. she was like a con woman. Can't remember the name of the episode, but there's something about that episode, you know, fighting fire with fire that kind of... There were times that made me laugh pretty good. Those are two more out of my list of, you know, 26 or whatever. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure between the three of us, we could be here all night talking about trying to put them in some kind of order, but did the best I could. <laughs> we had a climax of a Trek movie with Kirk talking to God, quote unquote. Now you have Picard talking to the devil, quote unquote. And then we covered D.C. Sign. We're going to talk more about Cisco and religion and everything else. So. I want to touch upon, uh, we did a great, great talk about the show. I want to talk about the four movies. They're all full movies. And to be honest, there's only two of them that I actually enjoy. Because the first one, Generations. Michael, have you seen Generations, I assume? Yeah, I've seen all of them. All right. It's really not good. It's like somebody shoehorned Kirk and Picard together. And we don't care how it happens, make it happen. So you get a really kind of nonsensical plot line. You get some good character moments from people like Picard, Data, Captain Kirk, and the few minutes he's in it. But it's just such a mess. And there's a big-ass plot hole I have. And it comes when when they're in the Nexus, which they don't ever really explain. And Guyna goes, well, where do you want to go back to? And Picard's obviously lost in thought and not doing the Picard thing and thinking about it. He could have said, I want to go back the first time I met Soren and have him arrested. Or I can end him there. No, I want to go back to the platform when shit's going bad. Which means you get to watch the Enterprise crash again. The only two that I was really a fan of were First Contact and Insurrection, but I kind of want to go around the horn here and talk about Generations real quick, see what you guys thought if I'm just being a negative Nancy about it. (laughs) Well, for me, I thought it was fun. This was the first Star Trek movie I saw in theaters. And so I thought it was cool. There was a movie that I was going to get to see in theaters. And then just the idea of Kirk and Picard, two very different characters sharing the screen and interacting. And it's not a good movie. You're right. It's not a good movie. 
but I thought it was fun. And that's one of the things, if I'm spending money to go see a movie, I'm going in to have a good time and have fun. I'm probably not going to be overly critical of it. It's going to have to be really, really bad for me to have too much of an issue because it's supposed to be a good time. It's supposed to be a fun time. And that's what I'm going to take out of. That's fair. Maybe I'm so negative because I expected more from Kirk and Picard meeting and like the two icons meeting and their scenes together are fantastic. And something I, on my last rewatch of it, I'm like, holy crap, he's right. When they're on horseback together and Kirk goes, let me give you a piece of advice. Don't ever let them promote you. Don't ever let them take you off the bridge of Starship. And Picard did. And look what happened. Just saying. Kirk was right 30 years later. And when Picard's like, you're a Starfleet officer, you have a duty. And Kirk stops him and goes, excuse me, I'm a Starship captain. I was out saving the galaxy when your grandfather was in diapers. Quite frankly, the galaxy owes me one. And I'm like, boom. He's like, oh, okay. Bruce, what was your thoughts on Generations? I wanted to like it's so bad for obvious reasons i mean you've got the two icons you've got malcolm mcdowell isn't this the one also where the rumor was they used some footage that they found so they didn't have to shoot anything so they keep the budget down something about oh, yeah. that, that cloud or whatever it was that's the nexus in the sky and it came from a, one of the other movies or something actually it's when they blow up the dura sisters bird of prey it's the same explosion from star trek 6 they reuse that from star trek 6 when they blow up dura's bird of prey i knew there was something in there but anyway this is again you like one more movie than I do. I mean, I'm stuck on one. I mean, this is one that, because I just ended up being so disappointed. Yeah, you know, the, the scenes on the horseback and the uh, bit you just mentioned, Chris. But tremendous, obviously, for, for all the obvious reasons. But in general, it just made me sad. <laughs> it really did. Yeah. I mean, Kirk kind of went out like a bitch. I'm not even going to lie. One of my favorite fictional characters, guy who I quote often, he went out like a bitch. All right. There's no other way to describe it. I'm sorry. And you didn't think that Picard didn't go back, would be like, hey, I can go back into Nexus and go back and do this again. No. And just let Kirk go live ambiguously, you know, just let him go do his own thing. Let him go off and escape into the sunset. And this is where I throw a plug in for the Shatner universe where he wrote a bunch of books where Kirk actually is resurrected by the Borg and the Romulan working together and is resurrected and goes off and does his own thing with some of the next gen crew of course because Shatner and his ego they're actually entertaining books though believe it or not I think it's most notable for Data getting the emotion chip and the Enterprise D crashing I remember being a kid in the theater my mouth was hanging wide open as you're watching the Enterprise D saucer section come rushing at you and Data seeing the planet going oh shit (laughs) (laughs) and it's like that's how we all felt you know it's like oh no First Contact, arguably probably my second all-time favorite Trek film, right beyond Wrath of Khan. You know, we talked about the Borg earlier. This is like the big Borg battle. This is like the be-all, end-all. You find out who was behind everything. The Borg Queen, played wonderfully by Alice Creech. Incredibly so. In my mind, nobody else could play her. I mean, they had her played by different people later on, but this is who I think of when I think of the Borg Queen. Just She's so, like, interesting. And her dialogue and her scenes with Data, and then when she, her and Picard finally confront each other, and there's so many good scenes in this movie. Yeah. John Frakes did an incredible job directing it. There's cute little nods to other things in the franchise. There's the scene where they activate the Enterprise E's EMH and it's the Doctor. It's Robert Picardo playing the EMH. It's like, oh, this isn't part of my programming. Just sing a song, tell a story. Oh, okay. I noticed Borg implants may cause some rubbing. Would you like an analgesic cream? <laughs> just stuff like that. And just spectacular from beginning then. I mean, you get a great ship battle. You get drama. You get comedy. You get one of Patrick Stewart's, obviously, best performances as Picard in this film. Because Captain Ahab had to go hunt his whale. The line must be drawn here. Yes. No father. 
<laughs> yeah, that whole thing. And then he like breaks it and he throws the phaser rifle and it's like, holy shit. It's like, that was intense. Okay. That still is. Every time I watch it, I'm like, damn, okay. And it's cute because again, you get the answer. Okay. What was their first contact? What was first contact? They kind of hint around it. And then you get the big reveal at the end of the movie. It's like, that's actually pretty damn cool. Yeah. James Cromwell was great. Don't tell me about the stat. I don't want to hear about any statues. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Reg Barkley C didn't. Jordy looked at him. You told him about the statue? <laughs> Reg is like two scenes in the movie, and it's so good. He's shake your hand. and Oh, Reg. Mike, what were your thoughts on First Contact, sir? It's my favorite Star Trek movie by far. Again, because TNG is my favorite series. And this movie was just fantastic. Every bit of casting was perfect. You know, you mentioned the Borg Queen. Excellent. James Cromwell. Fantastic. Alfred Woodard. I mean, she's great in everything, but she was great here. The whole scene in the bar with Cochran and Riker and Troy drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's just so many great things. You know, the way that the Borg Queen manipulates data yep. by giving him human skin and the sensation of touch and all that. Just so well done. Took him three shots of something called tequila to find out he's <laughs> what we're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and the song on the jukebox. <laughs> yes. And the fact that he's playing Magic Carpet Ride when they go up into yes. in the orbit is pretty damn great. Bruce, I assume you're going to share the same opinion as us. That it, oh, that yeah. It, outstanding. A- outstanding. The scene that I will remember forever is uh, the Borg Queen's entrance. I mean, how do you top that? You know, her yeah. bottom half is down below. Her top half comes down to connect. And it was just it was an amazing effect at the time. Probably would be an amazing effect now, too. I also liked how uh, James Cromwell, you know, just like it's the first rocket ship or whatever, you know, he had to tap the button to make sure that the engines were working because that was <laughs> going right. That kind of made a laugh. And again, ties back in my my oversaturated media head to the Big Bang Theory with Penny's car with her check engine light being on. <laughs> when I watch that episode, I keep thinking I want her to reach over and push then tap on her zone. But it is an outstanding piece of film. The great James Cromwell still with us at 83 years old. Good on you, sir. And good on him when he was on All in the Family. Stretch Cunningham. When Archie found out that Stretch Cunningham was Jewish and went to the funeral, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> He was also the farmer and babe, among many, many other things. I'm sure I could probably sit here and go through his filmography and his great role in L.A. Confidential. He was great as the warden in The Green Mile. Yes. Again, see, like, he's a guy, he's character actor. He's been in so much stuff that we could probably sit here and mention him in one of the most endearing guest stars in Trek history. Obviously, one of the most important. Yep. Six degrees of James Cromwell. Yeah, exactly. Who do you play in the longest yard, Mike? Who is uh, the warden he, in the longest yard? Warden, yeah. No, the warden was Eddie Albert, wasn't he? Well, is it the remake? Okay, the remake. That's why. Yeah. Ah, the remake. That, that features Cheeseburger, cheeseburger Eddie. Cheeseburger Eddie. Cheeseburger Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Crews' best thing ever. Okay, so, so real quick. Terry Crews' best role. Cheeseburger Eddie. The guy in, was it White Chicks? Ooh, oh, with shit. the Wayne Brothers. Oh, shit. Or, or as Sergeant Jeffords in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Ooh, I never watched enough of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Me. Well, you need to rectify that right away. That's what I hear from a lot of people. I hear that I really should, that I'd probably really, really like it. 
him as Cheeseburger Eddie. I know that's also a favorite of your wife. For years. I mean, I think now she knows his name is Terry Crews. <laughs> Cheeseburger Eddie. For years, anything we saw Terry Crews in, it was, that's Cheeseburger Eddie. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> the great Terry Crews. They need him on Star Trek. He'd play a good Klingon. Yeah. yeah. See that. Michael, speaking of Klingons, and I need to, I'm going to double check this here because now that we're talking about people, you're a basketball guy. Let me look this up here quick while I'm. Do you know that James Worthy was a Klingon in Star Trek? Yes, I remember that. I couldn't tell you what. I had to look it up. I thought he was in D-Space. Now I know he's in Next Gen. In Gambit Part 2, he plays a Klingon in Gambit Part 2. He's probably the galaxy's tallest Klingon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, yeah, <laughs> that's a tall-ass Klingon. But yeah, just thinking of that and surprising guest stars. And, and Uncle Phil was actually a Klingon on Enterprise. Okay. We're getting way off topic here. I've seen, I went through and I watched Enterprise at one point. Back in the day, this back to earlier conversation we had off air about Netflix. I watched Enterprise back when you only received DVDs through the mail from Netflix. <laughs> you realize that there is a generation that will never know that? Oh, Ashlyn, she doesn't remember it. I mean, she was little when I was doing that, but I explained it to her not too long ago, and she's like, really? I was like, yeah. I think I had it, whatever the highest tier was, where you could have like three or four discs out at a time. Yep. Because uh, I went I through and I rewatched TNG start finish and then immediately into DS9 and then Voyager and then Enterprise, just, you know, bing, bing, bing. And so I would get the four discs out at a time so I could have them and just be continually sending one back and always having one to watch. Yep. Watch it pop in the mail, wait like two, three days. And then luckily when I was doing that, like primarily, there was a distribution center not real far from us. So it would turn around, thankfully, pretty quick. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. There would be times though where you'd get an email and it would say it's going to have to come from a different location yeah and it's going to take a couple of extra days or whatever and again that's why i was thankful that i always had the multiple you know the three to four discs out at a time so you never really ran into a lag issue too much that way speaking of and again we're going way off topic here but i feel this needs to be said because we're talking about remembering things or remembering when netflix had mailers I introduced JJ to Blippi and I regretted it because there's a scene in Blippi where he's talking to this guy and he picks up a CD and goes, Oh, these are called CDs. People used to listen to music and watch movies on these. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you wear blue and orange. I'll make you black and blue. If I ever see you. Okay. Because I still do. I still watch DVDs and listen to music on CDs. You big glass. I'm going to take your glasses and bust them up. You bastard making me feel old. I remember one of my college roommates had a huge collections of, are you ready? Waiting for it. Eight track tapes. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. I'm one of the guys that glad vinyl came back into style. Okay. Because music sounds so cool on vinyl the way if it was originally supposed to be on vinyl. It sounds so cool. Well, anyways, we ventured way, way off topic here. And that's okay. But that's okay. That's what we do here. So next came Insurrection, which is fine. I feel it would be a better like television episode. It's a fun movie. You have F. Murray Abraham as the bad guy. You have some good character moments like Jordy's eyes healing. So he gets to see his first sunset. Worf and Picard and Data all singing. I think it's Gilbert and Gilbert Sullivan musical while they're racing through the atmosphere. Get to see some cool Enterprise action, but it's really forgettable. I only remember a lot of this because I watched it like six, eight months ago. Mike, how'd you feel about Insurrection? I enjoyed it quite a bit. You can't go wrong with F. Murray Abraham. And I'm going to throw this out here. I know Bruce mentioned that he subscribes to Apple TV. Have you watched the show Mythic Quest? 
Not, no, not yet. I've heard really good things about it. It's from one of the creators of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Rob McElhenney. And it's about a video game company, a company that produces a specific video game. I guess it would be similar to World of Warcraft or something like that, that type of game. And anyway, F. Murray Abraham is in the show and he is hysterical throughout. I recommend it. I binged it in, I don't know, three or four days. I think there's three seasons of it, maybe. It goes by very quick. It's a very funny show. Great cast. But no, I mean, I thought this was a very good movie. It wasn't as good as First Contact, but if you use that as your measuring stick, very few things will measure up. True. Because First Contact was so great. Was it an episode of Next Generation, or was it a later show that involved some of these same alien species? I can't recall if they were ever mentioned again, especially with like the time frame of where it took place in the Star Trek universe. But it would be something kind of cool to come back to, I feel like, later on, like if you ever wanted to explore and go forward with the storylines past the card and what's going on in the galaxy at that point. But I don't think there was ever really an exploration after that, per se. But it continued this trend of, hey, Starfleet's kind of shady. <laughs> so, yeah, that's an understatement. It continued the fun trend of, hey, Starfleet's up to some shady shit. There are some enjoyable parts. Like I said, it would have been great as like an extended like two part television episode or maybe like an episode like arc longer. But as a movie and I get it after you had generations where you blew up the Enterprise or first contact where you had a lot going on, you kind of wanted something a little lighter. So I guess if you look at it like that and they gave us baby face Riker back, which I still don't know how I feel about that. That was something when Ashley and I went through, we watched my top five today and we started with data lore season one and she's like, oh my no beard Riker. I said, yeah, that was a thing in season one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely different. Which is still kind of weird. And I think I could have done without him flying the Enterprise with a joystick. But <laughs> Bruce, what are your thoughts? Well, this one, Generations, and the one that we'll undoubtedly get to next are, are, are the three Star Trek movies, along with one from the original series that I've watched a total of one time each. Not my favorite. I think. Chris, you hit the nail on the head. I think this one was much better as a TV episode. It's not going to be at the bottom of my list. The bottom of my list is saved for the the original series, the same way Michael feels about a a certain movie that shall not be named from the Indiana Jones franchise. (laughs) I refuse to talk about this movie from the original series. In my mind, well, may have something to do with the fact that I've only seen it once, but forgettable would be my adjective for it, in my mind. I don't know, I just didn't get it, I guess. I don't know. After first contact, you expect the momentum to carry through, but then could have said that after Voyage Home, too. And you know what happened then? Not a fan. I can understand that. Ah, So we get to my least favorite Star Trek movie of all time. It had potential, but uh, here's where it was directed by a guy who obviously does not know Star Trek, for starters, because everything seems so wooden. The script was wooden. It's kind of a cool idea, but piss poor execution. Everything seemed out of place. It was definitely more about Picard and Data and a lot of unnecessary BS. Nicely, Rick and Troy finally get married. That's cool. The battle with the Enterprise versus the giant Raymond ship was friggin' awesome. Especially sitting down on like a theater screen. You see how big that ship is compared to the tiny little Enterprise. It's like, oh man, they're going to beat up that sweet Enterprise. But it's long. It's drawn out. It, to me, it was boring as hell for most of it. And I said it was a cool idea. It introduced the world to Tom Hardy, which, I mean, 
is a plus. That's like one of the only plus I had going for it. Apparently he got really upset though and doesn't really like to talk about it because of how bad of an experience he had with it. For a generation's final journey, it was so disappointing. Then this was the first time I can remember it. The last 20 minutes of it dove into Wrath of Khan territory where it pretty much stole note for note the end of Wrath of Khan with, oh, hey, it's radiation. Oh, here, we need somebody to go sacrifice ourselves. Okay, well, here goes Data. Here comes the character who finally knows what it's like to be human. Okay, bye. But wait, he's not really dead because he transfers consciousness into B4. <laughs> Nemesis was so bad, they spent three seasons of Picard apologizing for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my condensed rant. And Bruce, I'm going to tell you that I consider the movie that you refuse to talk about better than this because it did better homage to the characters and better justice to the characters than this film did. Well, the but, two movies actually have an actor in common. Don't remember what character he played in that other movie. But in this one, he played because I just happened to look up the movie just to refresh my memory in terms of, you know, the comment you made about about the director not being versed in Trek. An actor named Alan Dale played Praetor Heron, Hiron, whatever. He was also in that other movie, which is at the bottom of my list. Matter of fact, it's below the bottom. The list can't be long enough. Our good friend Benji and I had a conversation about it, and I think he agrees with you, but he also sees my counterpoint as why Nemesis was not good. I completely see the point, but there's just... (laughs) I find it ironic that after the two previous movies of the old series that Leonard Nimoy took charge of, that Shatner takes over and creates what he did. (laughs) Oh, what does God need with a starship? (laughs) You know what? That was the first Star Trek movie I saw in the theater, okay? We're going to do an original series themed episode, probably me, you, and Benji at some point. So we can discuss the less fine details of that then. But I know a lot of people that share your opinion on that. So let's just say, Mike, I'm sure you have something positive to say about it, whereas I kind of don't. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. It was not a good movie. It was not. It had its moments where it was like, okay, maybe this is going to turn around. Yeah. And it just never did. And I wouldn't say it's terrible, but it's not good. And I've seen it a handful of times, I would say, because Tyson and I went through and watched all of the TNG movies after we finished the series. I think I asked you, was like there a specific order that I needed to do it, you know, show any of that to her as we went through from TNG to DS9 and now on to Voyager. And I do know what I was thinking of when I mentioned before about Insurrection. Was there an episode or something? There was a DS9 episode towards the end of the run where they mentioned the Sona as having a Ketracel White facility. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I don't think yeah. they actually really play into it or even are shown necessarily. That's right. But they're at least mentioned, I know. Okay. And then yeah, there's yeah. also in Nemesis, Janeway mentions the card and the Enterprise dealing with the Sona yeah. in Insurrection too. I think those two things is what I was conflating in my mind as an actual episode of one of the shows involving the Sona. Now that you say it, I do remember that because I remember we were watching when Christine Nine did her first watch of DS9 and they dropped that reference. I'm like, oh, so yeah. you are right, sir. I knew there was something, but yeah, it definitely wasn't like a, in my head I was thinking there was a full-fledged episode dealing with them and there wasn't. But no, Nemesis was not good. And it's too bad. I mean, I'm glad that we got Picard simply because Nemesis kind of left a sour taste in your mouth in regards to the TNG franchise. But that being the last thing from them, I'm very glad that we got Picard. 
you being a dad and remember watching TNG, how cool is it that you watch this and then you're like, oh my God, are we ever going to see this? Char-? And then you get to see the characters again. It's like, thank right. God. Right. You know, and you get to watch it with your next generation. And it's like, exactly. Cool. Like JJ sitting here, I'm like, dude, eventually someday you're going to understand this and how cool this is. I remember walking in the theater. I was so disappointed. I said, that's it. I said, these guys deserve better. I skipped school in 2002 to go see it. And I'm like, damn, maybe I would have been better off going. <laughs> Shit. If you want something positive, there were some cool visuals. There were things you could take from it that were positive. The cool ship battle at the end there was pretty sweet, but there was a lot of nonsense to the end to make that up for. So, although it did give us the visual of somebody flying out the front of the spaceship for the first time, I do believe. I don't think anybody had ever been sucked out the front until that poor Enza hanging onto the helm got sucked out in the front there after they rammed. I think it was during the ramming sequence when he's like, we're going to ram this sweet ass Enterprise into your ship. All right, Bruce, let's hear it, buddy. Nonsensical is about as good a word as I can come up with. Again, nothing really positive to say. Sad ending. Well, what turned out to be a 30-year temporary ending anyway for these characters that we've obviously followed for seven years and three other movies. I can't say I ever have any interest in ever seeing it again. Saw it the one time. That was more than enough for me. (laughs) And you thought you were the negative Nelly. Obviously, I saw it in the theater, and then I maybe watched it one other time, and I said, I'm good. I don't think I've watched it since. I think it came on TV one time, and I watched the first 15 minutes. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I can find better use for two hours of my time than watch this again. And that's the only Star Trek movie I will say that about. That and In the Darkness was also kind of disappointing in ways. Those are the only two that, if they're on TV, I will not find a way to sit down and watch. I just, I, I just don't understand why anyone thought that Wrath of Khan needed a remake. Well, exactly. The movie's great till you go into that territory. <laughs> with that, it's really good until you veer that last 25 minutes. Again, same thing with Nemesis. You veer hardcore into ripping off what is arguably the greatest Star Trek movie ever. We've talked about this and we've rambled on for a little while. Any parting words from the rest of the cast here before we wrap it up here, gentlemen? Mike, Bruce? Pleasure being here. I always love to talk about science fiction, although you guys probably still know more about it than I do. Your tastes are more varied than mine. I'm very specific in what I like. Thank you for allowing me to participate. We've wanted to get you on for a while, and I'm glad everything kind of fell into place. When Mike and Drew and Bill and myself were talking last year about who we wanted to get on the show, your name was at the top of all four of our lists. Like, no lie. And yet they didn't have the courtesy to show up. <laughs> well, <laughs> got to rotate out. I mean, we just had an episode not too long ago where it was just Drew and Bill rotating out. You know, Mike and I can't be on every episode. I mean, Michael obviously works on every episode. True. Just, just busting chops. I know you guys are always out and about posting food pictures and making the rest of us jealous. Although, thank you for reminding us what food day it is all the time. <laughs> when we get done here, I'm going to go have a slice of pie for National Pie Day. The first time I heard about this stuff is when I was in college, I was interning on a television program that you probably would never remember called PM Magazine, which is where, interestingly enough, a certain disgraced Today Show host got his start outside of local television here in New York, where when we would do the opening of the show, we'd actually do a story based on the day. So I'm going to make it up because you mentioned pie, so fine. Today's National Pie Day, so we're going to a bakery. That's where we're going to shoot all of the, we call them intros and outros to all the stories that would be on the show. So that was the first time I got exposed to that type of thing. No, I mean, thank you for contributing to the group with that. He ends every night with some great memes to pass along. One of the best contributors we have in the group. Absolutely. We can't thank him enough for taking a few hours out of his evening to come hang out with us here. And Oh, shucks. 
<laughs> all the all the expertise he brings elsewhere. And generally, if you've not met Bruce, you'll get the chance to if you're going to Glory Days GrappleCon in April. Well, like I said, I, you mentioned something about May. So assuming my doctor team approves, I can take a drive too. Hey, I mean, I just get out there. I was just telling Christine when her and JJ went to, they missed meeting out on you because you were in recovery. I said, you guys need to meet Bruce. Bruce is one of the essentials you were not introduced to. And I said, luckily he lives in New York. So <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much for being on. I'd like to have you on for a Florida wrestling episode because I know when you and I first met and we we're having lunch at Portillo's, you were kind of filling in some Florida wrestling holes for me through the past. So I'd like to have you on for something like that. Anytime. Just let me know when. Absolutely, sir. We most certainly will. Thank you all again for listening. We're going to send you to the plug session and we will see you on the other side. Yeah, definitely want everybody to check out our friend Shoreline Gems on Facebook. Now is the perfect opportunity for everybody to check them out and support them as a small business in the holiday season. Check out their unique, one-of-a-kind, handmade beach glass jewelry pieces. Definitely want to support them, so go check them out at Shoreline Gems on Facebook. And we also would like you to check out our friends on the What's the Vibe podcast with Katie and Amy. We want you to check them out wherever you podcast and on YouTube especially. Their show is great. Very funny, very engaging. They're awesome girls and they have an amazing show. So definitely check them out wherever you podcast and on YouTube. And we also would like for you to check out our buddy Stephen Rafel's daughter, Killer, and her band Luna Worldcast at LunarWorldcast.com, courtesy of Megafauna Records. Definitely check them out. Become a member of their Patreon and you can live stream all of their gigs and you also get 15% off of their merch when you're a patron. So definitely support our friend Taylor and her band Luna Worldcast at LunaWorldcast.com courtesy of Megafauna Records. We'd also like you to check out our buddy Jason D'Agostino and his buddy Dave at Not Another Sports Podcast wherever you podcast and on YouTube. Support our buddy Dags and Dave and check out their merch too at the Tee Public storefronts. So get out there support our buddy Dags. I want to give shout outs to our brothers and cause chaos. Stephen Burho, everybody's big brother and our little brother down in Florida, Florida man himself. Little brother to big brother, I guess. Shard, Shard Johnson, keep getting better, you guys. We love you, man. Get back on the road again and we love you guys. Love you guys. Goodness gracious, Valentine's Day is coming. What are you going to get your loved one? Something romantic. And what says romance more than a t-shirt from this other ship tea public store or a tote bag, a coffee mug, a magnet? Hey, I'm not here to judge how anybody expresses their affection, but if you want to stick magnets on your partner's metal plate in their head and roll around in whatever, hey, we support that. Please Please make sure it's another ship magnet. All kinds of cool designs, all kinds of cool stuff, coffee mugs. If you guys have a, have a few minutes, I know in today's world it's hard to get any free time, but you know, you listen to the podcast, if you get a chance to like, review, and subscribe to uh, whatever platform you use, and if you want to do a couple different platforms, I ain't going to cry about it. You know, give us some stars, show us some love, but if you guys can show some love, get us out there, spread the word, we'd really appreciate it. And if you're interested in advertising for anything, holler at us. We'd also like to remind you to check out our friends of the Josephines at thejosephines.net. Buy an album, buy a CD, check out touring information, 
Show the guys some love. We want you to check out our good friend, Hot Rod, Rodney Swift and his wife at It's Mr. and Mrs. Swift 2017 on YouTube. Check out their series of music reaction videos they have going on right now. You can also find them on Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, check out Glory Days GrappleCon on the Glory Days GrappleCon group on the Captain's Corner. Nick Massey, the Captain, putting on Glory Days GrappleCon with Barry Rose at the Rosen Center April 20th in Orlando, Florida. You will not want to miss this event. They are having a world-class championship wrestling panel discussion moderated by the great Mark Lawrence, featuring Missy Hyatt, the one-man gang, Al Perez, Jack Victory, and Brian Adias. Should be an amazing time. Q&A with Ron Simmons. Stan Hansen is going to be there as a vendor guest. Stan's turning 80. Who knows how many more of these events he'll be at. If you want a chance to meet him, this is the place to do it. Go to eventbrite.com and search Glory Days GrappleCon for your ticket info. They have four different levels of tickets from your standard entry just to the FanFest to the top tier package that gets you the world-class panel. The Ron Simmons Q&A, another unannounced Q&A event coming up. Pictures with the world-class guests. So this is not an event that you want to miss. Get your tickets, get your hotel room booked, and we'll see you in April. Speaking of people we'll see at Glory Days GrappleCon, I want to give a shout-out to Bruce and Cindy Cohen. Can't wait to see you both. To the Hollywood kid, Mr. 391 himself, Frankie Seacrest, and his lovely wife, Jana. We'll see them there. The great potato himself, Tim Graff, will be in attendance. number of people that you've heard on the show will be there. You don't want to miss this event, so get your tickets. We'll see you there. So speaking of seeing people, communicating with people, being around people, if you're not a member of our Facebook group and you're listening to the show, why not? We're at 297 members as of this recording. We're almost at a year. We want to be at 300 by then. So if you know somebody, if each of you invites five people and three people show up, meet our goal of 300 people. We're a pretty good community. We get food pictures. We get music discussion, movie discussion, wrestling talk, more wrestling talk than you have on here and some of the other podcasts you listen to. It's the extension of this. We thank you for being a part of the community, the podcast, and everything. We're very grateful for you, and thanks for spending a few hours of your day with us, and we will definitely talk to you all soon. Presence, no.